Hello and welcome to episode two of the Aussie Pinball Podcast with your host Dr. John on the Pinball Network. So this week we get more into our normal format where I introduce a guest, we find out all about them, a little bit about their history of pinball, their current favourite games, what they've been up to, and of course a bit about Aussie music and movies from their perspective. So this person is well known to the podcasting community, but maybe new to you if you're just new to podcasts. Uh, She hails from the wonderful town of Newcastle, and she has had her own podcast for a number of years, but has been rather silent over the last few months as her life develops and changes. Let's hear from our guest. So we are joined by the recently missing in action from the pinball media scene, but back by special appearance at no one's request, Jessie J. Hello, Jessie. Thank you, Doctor. This is, this is almost a uh, an in bed with Jessie session on a Sunday, a Monday morning. You weren't supposed to sell me out like that. I, I was hoping <laughs> you'd pretend that I'm in my professional office with my snowball mic. I, I think know. anyone that knows you knows you better than that. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah, I'm crazied up in bed right now. It's very good. That's very nice. So let's start at the beginning. For those who don't know you, without giving away too much, you're a. Are you born and bred in the wonderful town of? How do you say it? Newcastle. It's It's, not Newcastle. It's not Newcastle. That's something that particularly Melbournians have a problem with. We'll we'll talk about Melbourne later, um, and international visitors. But it's Newcastle. That's where one of our Miss Universe entrants come from uh, years ago, Townsville. Oh, I forget her name. The other girl who won it, Jennifer Hawkins, she comes from uh, Newcastle. It's a bit of a theme. The biggest spunk rats we've got come from these real yobbo towns. Yes, I am born and bred in Newcastle. Cool. I have a strong affinity for Melbourne because I lived there for a number of years till recently, but I'm back. I'm back in the motherland. Back in the And where's Old Castle? Where's Old Castle? That's a good question. Uh, I'm just going to pick a random town. <laughs> Old Castle is in Bogabilla. <laughs> You're making stuff up now. Yeah. But see, nobody knows. Australia has these amazing, especially like Indigenous place names that just sound so different and awesome. Like Bogabilla, I don't even know where that is, but I could totally tell someone from America that that's where Old Castle is and they'd believe me, right? It'd be in the, in the bush. Yeah. As Billy Connolly says. And there was a jar on the counter. This is the truth. And there was a, like a honey jar. And in it was the biggest spider I've ever seen in my life. And it was under this liquid, you know. It'd been dead for years. It was still fucking terrifying looking at it. I said, what's that? She says, oh, that's the famous funnel web spider. I said, oh, yeah. Where did they live? Out in the bush. I said, trying to sound knowledgeable. Oh, that'll be out in the bush, I said, pointing over my shoulder. I thought it was a safe bet to point away from the sea. It's a funny name for the countryside, the bush, isn't it? I think the middle of Australia is a huge desert with one fucking bush. I mean, the th- good thing about Aboriginal towns is I used to live in Wagga Wagga. Mm-hmm. I've been to Grong Grong. Grong Grong? Grong Grong. Grong Grong. Cool. Do you know why they double up the names quite often? I don't, but I'd like to because I did live in Curry Curry for a while. There you go. It's because they never quite invented, well, they had no written language. They had a verbal language, but never a written language. But they never quite invented the plural. Mm-hmm. So Wagga Wagga means, well, Wagga means crow, 
Wagga Wagga means more than one crow. So it was a place where lots of crows would hang out. Awesome. Yeah. So you'll hear a lot of double names when they want to emphasise the plurality of the place. That is very cool. That's your Australian Aboriginal education for today. Excellent. So grew up in Newcastle. Yes. Tell us about your pinball adventures when you were young. Yeah. So this is something that I've talked about a little on my own show, but for those not familiar with me, I started my pinball journey playing an Adams family at a toboggan park in Newcastle. And I had to stand up on a little step stool to reach the flippers, which a lot of people can relate to. Um, the toboggan park was kind of far away from Newcastle, Maine. It was about an hour drive away out in Nelson Bay. And I would hassle my parents to drive me out there to play because I was so obsessed with it. So that was my first love. And beyond that, it was really just playing machines on holiday locations. So, you know, in Australia, it's fairly common or it was fairly common for caravan parks and sort of was, you know, camping places to have a games room. But I don't know if you remember, John, I'm sure you do, but like the classic games room in a caravan park is just a crappy little room usually that might have a really average pool table and a couple of pinball machines and maybe a really, you know, an old arcade. Like they're usually really badly maintained, but they're heaps of fun when you're six years old. And so I played a lot of, uh, of those machines to remember a Street Fighter out of the Bay. Nice. Street, yep. Uh Lots of Adams around because, you know, that was the mid-90s. So it was a beautiful time to be playing pinball. But as a five, six-year-old kid, Adams family is all I really remember. Okay. And was it, did you get into rules or were you chimp flipping? Gosh, no. No no, no talent whatsoever. Pumping in the coins. A hundred percent. And then, um, and then I, re- I remember from your last show, after this childhood experience, you found, did you find pizza and pinball? I did, yeah. So look, the, yeah. there's actually an intervening story before we get to that. Cool. Yeah, it's a quick one. So there was the Adams era when I was five or six. Then when I was around probably 10 to 12, my dad and I went on holidays in Queensland and he said to me, if you sing karaoke, I'll give you 20 bucks to put in the pinball machine. I don't remember what machine it was. I'm sorry. So I got up and I sang Fernando by ABBA at oh. karaoke. Can you think of a worse karaoke choice? <laughs> there was something in the air at night. The stars were bright, Fernando. They were shining there for you and me, for liberty, <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. Although it got, it was quite a, quite a rousing, uh, it was quite a rousing rendition and got a good reaction from the crowd. So I was selling myself for pinball at quite a young age, which is good to continue into my foray into pinball media. But anyway, so that was the intervening years, and then I didn't play, I didn't really play unless I saw something on location for probably another ten years or so. And then in my early twenties, pizza and pinball started up in Newcastle. So that was awesome. It was. As far as I'm aware, Newcastle's first kind of recent, or at least recent, 
dedicated pinball venue. So they just did what it said on the tin. They made pizza and they had lots of pinball machines. I briefly played in a couple of league nights there. Didn't see the season through though. I was more interested in just going and putting money in when I had time and would go on my own and play games there. That's where I fell in love with X-Men. <laughs> All of the X-Men. <laughs> No, the game, the game. I really love that machine. Um, Big fan of that. They had beautiful machines there and the guys that ran that, as far as I'm aware, are still pretty involved in Pinfest. Um, So that was a great spot. Rest in peace. Is that Dom and Chris? It is. Yes, because I remember I got very confused because when the Spooky podcast used to be on, out of Spooky Pinball, they would always have an ad for Pizza and Pinball in Newcastle. right. And I would go, oh, do they do like regional ads for each town that they're broadcasting this podcast from? I couldn't work out why they had an Australian ad on. But, uh, yeah, they've been long supporters of pinball, including podcasts. So I have a feeling they may have to be a guest in an upcoming show. Yeah, that would be really cool. And that actually makes a lot of sense because I remember at the time seeing they had a flyer in their uh, venue that said Spooky Pinball Podcast. And I remember at the time being like, what is a podcast? (laughs) What is it and how do you talk about pinball on it? Um, It wasn't a very popular thing at the time. So, yeah, early adopters, Spooky, were. Uh And now there was a bit of a uh, conjecture about you reaching wizard modes at that time of life. Yes. Was it medieval madness? It was. So looking back, that is actually something I almost can't believe I managed to do. I feel like, I don't know if other players can relate to this, but nowadays, now that I know about rules and I have some skills, I feel like you get to a point where you start out playing pinball, you kind of just flip around and hope that you don't drain. And then as you start to learn, you almost go through a period of being worse because you're specifically trying to achieve things. You perceive that you're worse, I guess, because you're trying to you know hit certain shots and do certain things. And it feels like there's a big skill um, learning curve, I guess. But Back then, somehow, yes, I did manage to beat the wizard mode on Medieval Madness at a pub. It was just a machine that I would play when I went to the pub, which was very often. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My friends worked there at the time and my boyfriend was playing in a band that was always playing shows there. So I would just post up on that machine and put tons of money into it. And eventually I, um, I did. I beat the wizard mode. And did it ruin the game for you? It didn't. It it was actually amazing because I didn't know that wizard modes were a thing at that point. You know, again, that was my early 20s. I had been playing a lot of pinball casually, but I didn't know about the depth of rules. And I I didn't even really know that there were rules. I just knew that I'd had a really long, really good game and there were things that I needed to do to somehow (laughs) battle for the kingdom. And that's what I did. But I didn't conceive that it was such a big deal. It's like a golfer on the golf course who gets a hole in one and no one sees it. How do you <laughs> you're jumping up and down, slightly yes. drunk, <laughs> celebrating this milestone yes. achievement, and everyone's just saying sharp and Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I did have a few. I did have a few friends watching because people were sort of like, "Oh, well, she's been playing a really good game, and you know the machine's making a lot of noise. It must be something cool's happening." But none of us, myself included, really understood how awesome that was. So it was a happy little accident, as Bob Ross would say. Let's do it. Just a little, though. Don't overdo. It gets working and it feels good, and next thing you know, you've overdone it. Give him a shake. (laughs) And just beat the devil out of him. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Then, all right, so we've got the young pinball player. We've got the early adult Mm -hmm. pinball player. And then was there a large hiatus? Yeah, there was. Again, it... 
I didn't really know that the pinball scene existed, I guess. And it, it was always just, you know, if I saw a machine somewhere out and about, I'd play it. I loved seeing pinball machines in the wild. I'd always put money into them. But I didn't know really that Pizza and Pinball had their league nights. But beyond that, Newcastle is a small place. And when they closed, there was no longer a facility where you could go and play more than maybe two machines if you were lucky. So I just didn't know what was out there. So when I moved to Melbourne and met Ryan and, you know, eventually we started up our podcast, that really opened my world of pinball right up because, you know, Ryan owned a lot of machines, he sites a lot of machines, he's involved in tournaments. It just blew my mind how much was actually going on. So I think that's when my learning about pinball as a game, learning about rules, learning about the amount of work that goes into making them, what happens in the community, all just opened up then. So you bumped the pinball tree and all the little pinball nerds <laughs> dropped out and you went, I didn't even know they grew in trees. So tell me, one thing that we all yes. struggle with when we organise pinball tournaments is we'll invite people to come along. Come along and play pinball in a comp. It's fun. You meet people. doesn't matter if you win or lose. What was it that stopped you from wanting to go back regularly at Peach and Pinball and playing their pinball nights? Hmm, that's a good question. Honestly, I think it was just being early 20s and having other stuff to do as well. Like I was very interested in going to the pub and drinking at that time. So, (laughs) you know, tournaments Mm. probably weren't a priority for me then. I don't really have a good answer for that. The people that were there were very nice. I was just doing other stuff. Was was it a mixed crowd back then? Was it mainly all... Um, dumpy 30 to 40 year old Ben or was there a mixed crowd? I remember running into um, the brother of a guy that I went high school with and he was lovely he was probably the youngest person besides me um, that I remember again was spending a lot of time at the pub so my memory's a bit hazy (laughs) (laughs) you get this image of being brain damaged just a little here just slightly you know I was I was in uni like they were the college days but we also got to add to the brain damage the fact that people like to hit you in the head that's true that's true (laughs) so when did you swap the flipper buttons for the gloves well pizza and pinball era and the medieval madness moment was like 2012-13 I want to say um first pin fest was 2012 so that's about right 2014 is when I started boxing did you know someone into it or was it just something that appealed to you as a as a concept it's a little bit of both so I've always grown up, my dad's really into combat sports. He used to compete in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I remember watching The Contender with him as a young lady um, and was really into John Wayne Parr. John Wayne Parr is one of the best Muay Thai fighters, Western Muay Thai fighters of all time. So I grew up watching him and was really interested in it, but I never thought, you know, I'll be a fighter myself one day. Um, And it actually came about because someone that I knew was going to a women's Muay Thai class and around the same time I was quite a heavy smoker and I thought I have to get off this. So I started going to classes and I realised very quickly trying to skip that uh, I had no cardio ability left. So I got off the ciggies very quickly. That was very good for me and, yeah, just kept training. Two months later I had my first fight. So was that traditional boxing or Muay Thai? Yeah, that was Western boxing. So I never had a Muay Thai fight. I did go and train and live in Thailand for about a month. Um, with the intention of fighting over there, um, but didn't get to it. So, yeah, I had, I had six fights in the end. Loved it. Loved every minute of it. I just want to say one thing to my wife who's home. Yo, Adrian! I did it! 
it's very cool to see my dad in the crowd at a couple of those fights considering you know we grew up watching watching combat sports together it's also really visceral like yes you're punching each other in the face so and I think as a woman in combat sports this is something I could talk forever about but just briefly being a woman in combat sports even 10 years ago was far less common than it is now you have even more camaraderie I guess because there's so few of you so you don't want to be making enemies out of your opponents because you could be fighting them again in a couple of weeks time there's not there's not a huge pool to choose from so I remember hugging it out with all of my um, opponents at the end of fights you know it's it's a really special experience and the women that I've met through it and the men um, have been awesome that amount of work that you put in behind the scenes and the drive to not give up and just think oh it's too hard is what keeps you going if you can get put yourself through that and then a fight at the end as well that takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of effort and determination so definitely i think it made me a more confident person indeed and so you've got to have the moves you've got to have the reflexes you've got to have the concentration you've got to have the training it sounds awfully like a pinball tournament. It really does, doesn't it? <laughs> Except no one's punching you in the head while you're playing the game. Thank hope- God for IPA rules. That's all I can say. Absolutely. We don't want to see any violence at our pinball tournaments. Occasional <laughs> <laughs> slam tilt. You're a bit of a machine shover at times, aren't you? I am. I, I try, Look, I think I underestimate my own strength at times. Um I wouldn't say that I'm particularly violent, but, you know, if you're not tilting, you're not trying, I'll certainly give it a good nudge now and then, which is funny too because Ryan and I, I think, talked in our early days of my show on as I was learning and becoming a more skilled pinball player, especially when I had one of his machines at home that I could practice on, recovery skills were probably the last thing that I really picked up. Shot accuracy and that kind of stuff I developed pretty well pretty early on, but recovery was really hard for me for a long time. Like my brain would go, you need to nudge but my body just wouldn't do it for such a long time. And then it just clicked and, and you know, now I do possibly too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, so when we talk about your skills, just so people know, how long after you borrowed, shall we call it the shadow of Ryan, yep. did you finish Final Battle? I want to say it was probably about five months in okay, or thereabouts. But that was a lot. Like I did a, a game audit on Shadow a few months in and I'd been clocking about 14 games a day. Nice. So there was a lot of time put onto that machine. Um, it's still my favourite. I love it. <laughs> Even after the competition we had at Netherworld? Even after Netherworld, yeah. So we, <laughs> we went to a tournament at this amazing venue where there's all these beautifully maintained, really nice machines, and Shadow was still the first one that I gave out, that I played. And despite my love for it and my skill on it on Ryan's machine, I absolutely tanked on that game in the tournament <laughs> twice. <laughs> <laughs> but you find that when you're playing competition pinball and you come up to a game that you own, I now approach it with absolute dread yes. simply because you know in your game where in the flipper every shot is. That's and right. you can be very relaxed and as soon as you flip the first time and it bricks off the post straight down the outlane, you go, oh, no. And it's like harder than relearning or harder than playing a game for the first time because you you know what you have to do and your mind and your body won't coordinate for quite a while. Definitely. that The way that it played was so different and that is such a challenge. But the funny thing was to me as well, everyone talks about Shadow being a punishing tournament game because of that skill shot and those posts on the left ramp. But that was the shot that I kept nailing. That wasn't the issue for me. It was literally anything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what priority would tournament pinball 
be to you as far as uh, a percentage of your play nowadays? Look, if I was still in Melbourne, quite a high one because it's a really good opportunity to hang out with people that you know in the community as well. And um, tournaments down there, there's quite a good player base. So you're, you know, up against some really talented players, but there's also just really lovely, awesome people to hang out with there. You know, my partner and I made a lot of friends with other younger pinball couples, I suppose, in Melbourne. Um, we went on a road trip to Nil together to play pinball. Like there's just people there that you want to hang out with that are great fun to be around. And that's the same, you know, when I've come up to Queensland to visit you and we've been to Netherworld, the people that you meet are fantastic. So the competition aspect for me is fun, um, but I also love just getting out there, playing new machines, meeting new people. That's the best bit. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear, man. I've breathed the mountain air, man. I've travelled, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Been to Tullamore, Seymour, Lismore, Maloolaban, Nambour, Mooch, Kilmore, Rillabar, Birdsville, Lemmerville, Wallaville, Connawana, Connawana, Strathbrown, Prosper, Nalla, Dalla, Darwin, Ginger, Nilla, Quinn, Mackilla, Wallen, Villa, Bogavilla, Cumberilla, I'm a killer. I've been everywhere. Yeah, the competition gives you that opportunity as well as visiting pinball shows and events, which I know you've done Pinfest in Newcastle a couple of times now. But... Wait till you come overseas. Ooh, baby. I can't wait, I can't They're wait. Huge. Lock in Texas for next year, yes. I tell you. Yes. The, uh... So your first... Experience with home gaming was stealing Ryan's shadow for a number of months. Yes. Uh, but then when you moved back to Newcastle, you found a rental place to rent a pinball machine, and it was? Uh, we had Lethal Weapon 3. Oh. We had Fun House. They weren't there. We had These were all rental games, were they? Star Trek, yeah. Because oh. I remember the first time you told me you rented one. Led Zeppelin. Tell me, Led Zeppelin, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about the chap who dropped it off. Yeah, so Led Zeppelin was the first game we rented. I, I wasn't sure about it because I don't really care much for that game, um, but we thought, you know, it's the newest one that he's got on offer, so we'll, we'll rent that. Uh, and, yeah, the <laughs> it was a very informal affair. So the guy basically said, what's your address? He showed up, he dropped it off and went, see you in a month. And my partner received it and he was sort of like, do you want, you know, do we have to sign a contract or do you want us to give you some identification or anything? And he was like, no, nope, see ya. <laughs> So, so all this guy had was our address and our, our mobile numbers. Um, we probably could have stolen that machine if we wanted to and, and got pretty far. <laughs> but he's great. We've rented off him a couple of times. Um, he supplied some machines to Pinfest as well. We actually ran into him at the last one. He's a really lovely dude, just a very casual guy. So lovely that he trusted us so much with this machine. I love it. The uh, And then you took the big plunge and decided to buy a new inbox. Yes, and I remember having a conversation with you about when this was going to arrive. I yes. think I won. I think I won the bet. But tell us, what did you buy? <laughs> we did. So we bought a Star Wars Mandalorian premium. We ordered that quite early when it was announced. So I think that was May last year. We were told it would come in August. I was very excited with that timeline, but I knew that I should probably take it with a grain of salt. Then it became December. I remember you said to me, there's no chance it'll come until next year. You were right, John. <laughs> it showed up a couple of weeks ago. Early April. So, you know, 11, right. 11 months later. Are, are you enjoying it? Yeah, we are. It's. I was a little frustrated when it arrived because there were a couple of things that needed tweaking. But look, that's pinball, right? It's. 
there's so much mechanical so many mechanical components to pinball it's sort of unavoidable it's it is a little bit disappointing when it's a brand new machine um, but it was nothing game breaking and you know it gave us an opportunity to open it up take things out have a fiddle so give us your tech tip for owning a pinball machine even though it's only been a number of weeks you've had (laughs) rentals how much servicing did you have to do on the rental games Fairly little, actually. The machines that we've rented off Joel have been pretty good quality and they're in quite good condition. Um, I mean, you, you know, you're taking the glass off all the time to grab a ball or unstick things, but we didn't ever have to actually repair anything on any of our rentals. My repair knowledge is quite low, quite limited, and I think I'm sure that will expand naturally as time goes on actually owning a machine, but I've never really had to fix very much at all, so... Can't offer you anything. Clean your glass. Uh, how about flipper adjustments? Flipper adjustments. Yep. We had to do a flipper adjustment on Mando. Um, the angles on the flippers were really bad, actually. <laughs> I say, I remember sending you a picture and you were like, wow, are those flippers <laughs> drunk? Have they been hanging out with Jesse at the pub? <laughs> that- and how'd you go with that? How'd you go with, with the first time dabbling in this is my game, I have to adjust the flippers? Yeah, well, I, I remember I messaged you and I also hit up Daniel, one of our friends in Melbourne, because he's really technically minded. He's actually done some really good restoration onto a Ryan's machines, a Muhammad Ali, an Ali, and a Stars. So, you know, that's one of the other great things about the community, right? There's a wealth of repair knowledge out there. You can just message someone you know and they'll probably know what to do. So he just said, oh, look for this part and undo this um, screw or whatever it's called. I don't even know what they're called. Thingy. Use it yeah. thingies. Loosen this thingy and then put the flipper in the right spot, tighten it up again. Sounds simple. We can never tighten it enough. When you first do it, you're sure you've tightened it yeah. beyond tight and the first time you flip it looks like it's taken a Viagra and it's just why are you sticking up like that? Right? It was Yeah, it was harder than it looked. But I think the hardest part was actually unscrewing the thingy in the first place because it was mm-hmm. so damn tight. Um, but that was a pretty that was a pretty easy adjustment once we got that bit down. So, And, and what sort of maintenance schedule are you going to have on your new game? Mm, clean it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, John. Maybe this is time for you to tell me what I should be doing. No, I covered it on my first intro episode. I I sort of recommend just going down to your local hardware shop and get a spray bottle of isopropyl alcohol Mm -hmm. and some uh, uh, microfiber cloth and just every now and again whip the glass off and you can tell when because when you look down your inlanes, you'll see a black line appearing where the ball is constantly Mm travelling and that means those areas down of high traffic and it comes up lovely and shiny. Perfect. I do remember some- doing that to Shadow. Shadow got very, very dirty, very filthy. Dirty yeah. Yes, yes, it will. Especially any game with a subway, especially will. But uh, I think mm-hmm. Shadow is all above playfield. Yes. But subways in particular will gather dust and dirt. Mm-hmm. But that's good. Pinball tip, flipper adjustments. We can uh, recommend that uh, to our edition of Pinball Tip. Now tell me, you get a lot of pinball out of the way, your favourite holiday spot in Australia that you're so far encountered and where you're sitting right now doesn't count. <laughs> Bed doesn't count? That's rude. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know I talk about it all the time, but I really can't go past Melbourne. Um, it's... It's sort of got everything that you want. I think it's personally think it's the best city in Australia. Melbourne is like the a really good blend between 
a bit European and straight up Australian. You've got things like AFL and the MCG, but you've also got, you know, Ligon Street with the Greek and Italian um, history there and the amazing food. There's a good pinball scene. There's lots of incredible places to eat and drink. And you're super close to amazing natural scenery like the Dandenong Ranges or Wilson's Promontory. So you can sort of drive an hour in any direction and run into amazing bush or, you know, ocean scenery. Have you spent much time in Sydney? I have because growing up in Sydney better than Melbourne or Melbourne better than Sydney? (laughs) Melbourne is way better than Sydney. Oh, there goes half the listeners. Yeah. Look, (laughs) Sydney's awesome. I do want to qualify that. Like Newcastle is quite proximal to Sydney. So I've spent a lot of time there in my life and it's gorgeous. It's on the harbour. It's absolutely stunning. I just wouldn't want to live there. I think that the town planning in Sydney really failed compared to Melbourne. It's a horrible place to drive. It's a horrible place to live because it's astronomically expensive. Um, but it's a beautiful place to visit. That's my hot take. Mm. Purely because of the difficulty of transportation around the um, city. Yeah. I mean, people do in Melbourne, people do joke about not crossing the Yarra to see anyone. Um, so it sort of depends on where you're situated. You but... hung around with snobby people. No, well, that's the thing. I didn't. I was a proud Westie and lived in the inner West all of my life across the Maribyrnong and the Yarra. So, you know, people didn't associate with me because I was a bogan, not because of <laughs> anything else. I wonder if Edna ever thinks of Mooney Ponds. I do. I mentioned I put it on the world map. I did. You did indeed. That's, that's <laughs> the only suburb that visitors know in Melbourne. Isn't that wonderful? It Thanks is. to me. So for overseas visitors, if you have a choice of flying into Sydney or Melbourne, you would definitely say fly into the beautiful area that is Tullamarine. Tullamarine's not beautiful. <laughs> but yeah. You could fly in and see the Opera House on one side and the Harbour Bridge next to it, or you can see Tullamarine. Yeah, look, if you're interested in the actual flight in, Sydney's the better <laughs> option. But once you've landed, you wouldn't want to be anywhere but Melbourne. No, Melbourne is good. Uh, a lot of cultural events with a capital K for Australia. Great eating, great eating, great theatre. Uh, always something on, I agree. And you have Moomba down there. Moomba's lame. <laughs> not for a child. That's true. No, Moomba's... Just, yeah, she's saying that because there's not a lot of drinking involved at Moomba. You know what? I'm actually not much of a drinker these days, despite what my earlier <laughs> statements might indicate. Um, no, Moomba's cool if you're, you know, it's a big event. There's also White Night and things like that. Like Melbourne is, you can go and have a lot of fun until quite late as well. I guess that's one of the other challenges with Sydney is that there's lockout laws that have really challenged the nightlife there over the last many years where mm-hmm. I think it might have changed now, but you couldn't get into a venue after 1am and you had to go by three or whatever it was. There's no shots, no glass containers, all these kind of restrictions on drinking and, and nightlife. That, How dare they? Yeah, decimated Sydney. <laughs> so, you know, obviously you would go to Melbourne. The, the reasons yeah. are just stacking up and up. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and give us your, your favourite Aussie film you've seen ever. Do I have to just choose one? Because I've got a couple. All right, give me a couple. You can't go past Mad Max. Which That's... one? There's been four. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> not, not, have you seen two again in recent times? N- well, no, I haven't. So I well, might don't, be don't, by don't. <laughs> don't. Is that the Thunderdome one? It's called. Hmm. George Kennedy ran out of ideas. 
It's terrible. All right. Although, if you watch Mad Max 1 again, it's absolute shite too, apart from the car stunts. Maybe it's all nostalgia then. (laughs) They don't don't carry well. So, But you like the new incarnation? I thought the new Mad Max was great, yeah. Um, So Mad Max as a category then, perhaps, just as a concept. The genre. (laughs) Yeah, the genre. Um, The castle. Can't go past Ah. the castle. Interesting you should say that. Yes. Unbeknownst to you, that was named as my favourite movie on my introductory episode. Really? It's gone straight to the pool room. Oh, Steve, could you move the Chimera? I need to get the Tirana out so I can get to the Commodore. I'll have to get the keys to Cortina. I'm going to move that Chimera. Yeah, watch the boat, mate. Yeah. It's a banger, isn't it? Straight to the pool room. I really enjoy the castle and I particularly enjoy it being in the career that I'm in where I have you know, lots of interactions with the justice system and have seen some not-so-good lawyers over the years in court, um, some real Dennis Denudos. So, you know, in summing up, um, it's it's the Constitution, it's Marbo, it's justice, it's law, it's the vibe. <laughs> put that clip in the last episode. So I don't need to do it again here. But you actually... decided it perfectly, yes. Amazing. It's just the vibe. how much this movie influences all as Australians. That's right. It's, it's amazing. I still haven't um, convinced my American partner to watch it yet, but that is high, high on the I, I, I did say it would take a couple of viewings for a non-Australian to understand. Yes. There might be some um, translation required. Yeah. But I've got one more. I've got one more okay. to add to the list, and it is Chopper. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. A happy story about a violent criminal. Yes. Excellent. Well, With Eric Banner. Eric Banner. That's one of the big reasons that I love Chopper because Eric Banner is just amazing. In my mind, he can do no wrong. You know, these crims out there, they get around like a bloody protected species. You know, why? I mean, look, I know you blokes don't mind turning the occasional blind eye whilst I deal out my own bit of poetic justice, right? Actually, Mark, that's not the way we operate. I understand perfectly, Mr Downey. There are certain things that, that, that you can't appear to condone. Look, appearance has got nothing to do with it. We don't condone them. I understand, Mr Downey. Um, it's it's not a happy movie, but <laughs> having lived in Melbourne and, you know, there's been a lot of media in Australia about the Melbourne underworld and those kind of gangland figures And there was sort of this mythos around Chopper that he was this real hard standover man. And then when you sort of get into it a bit more, you realise that a lot of what he carried on about was crap. (laughs) And, you know, I did a tour of Pentridge Prison, which is now a bougie accommodation facility. And they were, one of the guards there that actually worked in those days was like, ah, he was full of it. It was, you know, it was all, it was all baloney. He wasn't as hard as he thought. So it's been quite interesting over the years to learn about chopper because he's such an infamous aussie crook but eric banner just nails that performance um, he does and if and you... there's only been two notable people in the history that have actually cut their own ears off <laughs> that's true exactly and chopper's one of them <laughs> you know because van gogh only did one didn't he <laughs> yes. and chopper did both <laughs> so he's twice as good as van gogh is exactly. what we're saying that's right <laughs> <laughs> uh, lovely. All right, we should revisit the Chopper movie. And give us your favourite music. I think that one of the best Australian songs of all time is a little ditty called Hope and Crown by Lincoln Lefebvre. So he's a singer-songwriter from Tassie. Um, and the song is about, I believe it's about a
might be from Adelaide, but anyway, it's about an Australian pub. It's an incredible song. It's a lot of fun, and it just has that Aussie twang that we like, know and love. So that's my number one pick for song. Aussie twang that no one loves. No, that we know and love. Oh, know and love, and yeah. quite basically, you cannot be a rock and harmonica solo. Absolutely not. It just ticks all the boxes for us. You know who it reminded me of too, if you uh, ever get a chance to listen to the band from WA called The Waifs. I know The Waifs, yeah. They did that Lighthouse song. Yes, cracker. Bring it back. Bring back the mouth organ. Absolutely but yes, agree. it's another favourite song of yours or band. Um, oh, look, there's so many. I think ACDC are the quintessential Australian rock band, which I'm realising over time that a lot of people don't actually know are Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're American and you're listening to this, they're ours. <laughs> um, yeah. Rose Tattoo are pretty fun. Look, there's a million Australian bands that I could name. I have grown up in sort of the alternative music scene in Australia, so, you know, there's a million, I guess, punk punk rock bands that I could name. But a current favourite is Boudicca. That's my friend's band. They will melt your face off. If you like heavy music, they describe themselves as history nerds with loud instruments. <laughs> um, so if that appeals to you, listen to Boudicca because they're amazing. Excellent. Shameless, clip in there. shameless plug. <laughs> have they, have they, will I be on YouTube or I can steal some of their music? Absolutely. We'll find something. Good. Good. All right. Now, finish off with a pinball question mm-hmm. until we play your music. What's a game you've seen that you really want to play but you haven't been able to yet? People will probably think this is weird, but Secret Service. <laughs> so... I came across it just, you know, browsing the internet one day. There's a clip of it on YouTube. Someone's playing it in the dark and it really shows off the awesome light show that it has. It's just so campy. Like the the theme of it is camp and hilarious and there's all these American landmarks on it. The light show just looks incredible. I've been told that it's a bit buggy. Apparently there's some kind of issue with the rules on Secret Service. Um, but I don't know because I've never played one. So if I see one in the wild, I'll probably buy it on the spot. <laughs> oh, dear. Have you ever played it, John? Yeah. Do you love it? No, it's not very, it's not very memorable. <laughs> but it's so <laughs> cool to look at. It came out in 1988 by Data East mm-hmm. or Data East. Newcastle Chick, is it Data East or Data East? Data East. It's Data East, okay. The only data we know is the one on Star Trek. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at anything, sir. I'm continuing to organize my files. But you were looking at me. I am sorry if I was disturbing you, sir. I will not look in your direction. That's right. Okay, correct. So have you played many Data East games? I have not. And that's a shame. The good news is when you play one, you've played them all. I'm going to pull you up on being a bit of a liar, a bit of a porky pie here. Have you ever heard of a game called Lethal Weapon 3? Yes. Who made that? Data East. There you go. But you said, have I played many, not have I played any? Oh, okay. So. <laughs> you semantic, you. Yeah. <laughs> well, well the, good, the good thing is when you play any of them, you'll recognise the sounds because mm-hmm. <laughs> they use them in everything. But, I mean, some of my, I wouldn't say favourite, but I've owned uh, Lethal Weapon 3, I've owned Jurassic Park, I've owned Tommy. 
Uh, they're not bad games. They're not bad games. I think Data East. the thing that they've really got going for them is some awesome themes. Like, there's some really cool Data this East. This is not an awesome theme. There's some awesome ones. What about Phantom, POTUS. Phantom of the Opera? Yeah, it's a terrible game. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not talking about game. I'm talking about themes. Okay. They had right. Phantom. They had, they had Old Jurassic Park, didn't they? Yeah, that was good. The ball-eating dinosaur. They had Frankenstein. Mm, terrible game. Cool theme, Ter- though. Do you know the problem with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? What? They've got that horrible monster with its two arms in the air. Mm-hmm. When they tested it, uh, they didn't have the glass on, so it worked perfectly. Because oh. he would catch the balls and then throw them at you. Mm-hmm. The trouble is when he does that, he goes smack on the inside of the glass. No. <laughs> but How do you get that so wrong? Ask <laughs> <laughs> the people who designed the rush scoop. Wow. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, no, that's good. Okay, Secret Service is your secret shame. <gasps> My secret shame. Yes, I'm not even ashamed of it. I mean, I like some pretty questionable games, I think. No. Shadow, Demo Man are my top favourites, but Secret Service is my <laughs> favourite that I haven't played. One you haven't. All right, so when we do our US trip to visit a, uh, one of the big pinball shows, Secret mm-hmm. Service will be the first game we rush to play. 100%. Judge me if yeah. you will, but I can't wait. <laughs> okay. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Get back to your public holiday life. And thank you, thank you for sitting down and spending some time with us. And I'll see you later. Thanks for having me, Dr. George. And that's a wrap for episode two of the Aussie Pinball Podcast. And thanks again to Jesse J for joining me for that chat. Just remember, if you have any feedback or you want any guests to appear or want to appear yourself, feel free to contact me, Podcast at gmail.com. That's A-U-S-S-I-E if you're not sure. We'll leave you with Jesse's other secret shame, her heavy metal Boudica with their track Ellen and as she describes them the heavy metal history nerds hope you enjoy and hopefully you'll hear from me again in a couple of weeks time see you later